This is a HeadGum Podcast. Before I start the show this week, I just wanted to wish all of the listeners a very Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Thanksgiving this year. But uh, don't let the fact that uh, I'm wishing you a happy Thanksgiving, that I've recorded this very personal Thanksgiving message for you, fool you into thinking you're going to get a new episode this week. I am afraid we are in reruns. But what a rerun we have in store for you. Um, I often find myself in a position where I have to explain what I do in my free time and what this podcast is, and it can be difficult to explain. I mean, you guys listen to the show. How would you ex- how would how would you describe the show? That's actually a good question. How would you describe this show to someone? Uh, tweet at me if you have a good answer. It, it's an ongoing problem for me. What I usually end up doing um, is just giving a few examples of previous guests, and one example I always cite. Uh, is the person whose episode I am reposting today. This is someone who does something very unusual, and they do it so well that they've managed to find a way to not only do it on a stage, but to do it in such a way that it's actually part of this legitimate pop culture phenomenon. Also, did I mention he's helping people? That's kind of nice, too. All of that, and he's helping people, and it's all on the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show, starting now. everybody, welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and today on the old skype phone I am talking to Matt Paxton, an extreme cleaning expert who you may recognize from the AMC series Hoarders. Matt, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Now, Hoarders, which I love, uh, the show kind of focuses... Uh, on the hoarders. And, you know, I think even in the beginning it says something like there there are more than three million hoarders in America. These are their stories. And then people like you come in and they help clean up their lives. But we never get to really hear your story. And I've always wondered, like, uh, you know, where do you come from? What, what's your origin? So how did you get into this? Well, it's the, the number one question. Usually uh, the answer is I failed at everything else. And uh, I I actually was an economist coming out of college. And worked for the Caesars Palace Casinos and the Federal Reserve. And uh, as a 25-year-old kid, I lived in Tahoe uh, working for the casinos and got in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> and uh, took a couple years off. Is that gambling trouble? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. I mean, gambling, drugs, women, you name it. And it was awesome. I had a great time. I mean, it was really fun. But it was a very expensive lesson. I owed a bookie about $40,000. And he broke my nose. And... Uh, that was a pretty rough day. And then the next day, I always say this because it's important to know this. I literally, I had a, they gave me a week to come up with 40 grand. And when you're 25 and you make less than 40 grand a year and you've got to come up with 40 grand in a year, not a lot of good options on the table. And uh, some pretty illegal options came up for grabs. And finally called some family. They turned me down. An old buddy said, I'll, I'll get you a job in Chicago tomorrow. Like literally I had four days to get to Chicago. But the point of all this is that, like it, it put me in a pretty, pretty bad place. And then my dad, a bunch of people died. My dad, my grandfathers and my stepfather all died in a two year period. So I went through some major grief coming off of major addiction. And uh, the point of that is, is I, mean, I failed and failed and failed and failed and was in a pretty miserable place. Actually thought about committing suicide at one point. And then at rock bottom, I started cleaning old ladies' houses, just trying to make rent, living on a buddy's couch. And this one lady had a house that was just really gross, and I didn't even know what hoarding was. 
And I started cleaning her house, and it turned out she was just as messed up as me. And I was like, oh, well, this lady doesn't think I'm a freak. The rest of the world thinks I'm a freak, but she actually thinks I'm pretty nice. And uh, the more I hung out with the hoarders, the more I helped them, the more I realized, oh, man, all this failure, all this 10 years of just complete fucking up actually turns out to be really good if you focus your job on hoarding. And believe it or not, within two months, I mean, I was living on buddies' couches just trying to get by. And within two months, I had a pretty decent business. And then a year later, it got picked up on hoarders. That is a hell of an origin story. I got to yes. ask. Obviously, I want to talk yeah. about the hoarders. How, how did you uh, close out with the bookie? Like, what happened there? Well, a buddy, a buddy paid him off. And uh, I actually had to live in a hotel in Chicago and work it off for that buddy. Wow. And, what a buddy. Uh, it, was, uh, it was, yeah, it was eight months. And uh, it was a lot of blowjobs, man. It took forever. <laughs> I mean, well, <laughs> I, 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 I'm really surprised to hear that that's where you came from because on the show, I mean, first of all, the job seems extremely difficult, and like it seems like something you need to train for, and really, um, it's hard to imagine it's something you just find, but I guess that's the only way you could get into it. You just had to go in and start doing houses, so I probably did, I don't know, 300 houses before I got put on A&E, and it was, I mean, just no one else had the time with people in the houses like I did. And there's, what, what surprised me so much is that you seem so measured and so patient on the show i mean you have these people who are screaming and flipping out and being unreasonable and they're sick and it's a it seems like an extremely difficult situation and it's stressful just watching these people yell at their family and like the family's coming in part in front of your very eyes and then it cuts to you and you're like day one was tough just like something (laughs) extremely reasonable very patient of you um so it seems like you you had formal training but it seems I i guess not it's just experience well, yeah, I mean, I've failed enough in life that uh, what you don't see on Hoarders is you don't see the miracles that happened. And, I mean, the TV, TV show is about drama. It is what it is. That's what TV is. And so, you know, you see we're in there for 100 hours with the family, and you might see, I don't know, 20 minutes of me max. And so, like, it is primarily about the family. Like, each episode's Absolutely. that family story. Yeah. Absolutely. But every family I work with, I, act, I, I see all the drama, but then I also see just the absolute miracles happen at the end. You see these women get their lives back and you see sisters that have been fighting for 30 years. You see them become friends again. And so when I'm seeing all this, just the shit go down, I also know that in about four years, in four days, there's going to be lots of hugging. And so I, I mean, to me, that's my, I always say that's my new addiction. Like I love when the drama hits because it's a step that we had, it's a stepping stone we have to go to. So when the, I mean, when the family just loses it and you definitely get punches thrown and you get F bombs dropped on you. I mean, when a hoarder tells me to F off, I know that we're close. Like that's a good thing. <laughs> that means we're close. So that means I'm doing my job. So I love it. And so it lets me know, all right, we're really close to some happiness. But yeah, my job is to not react. I mean, everyone else just loses it. And my job is just to hold it together. And that's my job. Everyone else is going to lose it. I, no matter how crazy it gets, I've been swung at. I've been pushed. I've been cursed at. I've had poop thrown at me. I mean, you name it. My job is to not react and just smile it off. And you do get to see, I can speak as a viewer of the show, you do get to see those miracles on the show sometimes. You do see the family reconnect. Obviously, I'm sure it's even more exciting and more uplifting when you're there and you are a part of that. Um, But you do get to see that, but you don't always get to see that just because um, it seems like sometimes um, they don't accept the help and they don't get better. But it makes it it that much sweeter when they do and it adds that much more drama to it because you don't really know if they're going to do it or not. Do you have a sense when you're there, like sometimes... This one's not going to work out or, um, you know, this one's yeah. tough, but we can get there. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you know in the first 10 minutes if it's going to happen or not. And really? With Ho- oh, yeah. I mean, with Hoarders, like, we don't get to pick the cast. Like, we just show up, and that's who's there. That's the family we're helping. In a, in our, you know, I have a company called Clutter Cleaner that we help families all over the country. And I wouldn't, I mean, you normally wouldn't take a job unless you're pretty sure they're ready to change. Because, we, we, you know, we get probably 10,000 requests a year to help people, and we can help maybe 100 families a year. And so we don't want to take one that's not willing to change. Right. But on Hoarders... It's TV, man. I mean, it's drama. And so sometimes you're, the family is cast, and we don't get to pick it. And so I show up, and it's like, I know in five minutes, like, oh, man, this is, this is going to end very poorly. Or you're like, all right, it's going to be a lot of work, but you got a chance. I mean, I had showed up one time, and the son was literally, had clearly just smoked crack with, within 10 minutes of me getting there. And I was like, all right, if the family is smoking crack, we're probably not going to get through this house. It's probably not going to end up pretty good. Are the people that we see on TV, are those really the toughest cases? Oh, yeah. That's all-stars. I mean, <laughs> the worst of the worst are on hoarders. It's, I mean, we turn down – I mean, I, a lot of times I have to turn people down and say, your house isn't messy enough because I only do the worst of the worst now. That's really my business is focused on that now. But, yeah, hoarders, I mean, the ones you see on the show, you could we could spend literally a month in most of those houses. What happens uh, if you don't help or there isn't help? Like, what is what – is, plan b for these people like sometimes you see an episode and these people just don't accept help and you leave and all the stuff's there and maybe like the government's gonna step in but like at some point someone has to clean these things right if it was me Uh, i'd just like throw a sheet over it and be like no one's living here forever we'll come back in a thousand years yeah i mean that would be easier i mean i'm your last if i'm at your house this is second to last your next option is the house gets bulldozed or the county takes it over or you lose your kids i mean it's it's the end of the line when i'm there and so we kind of push pretty hard i mean if you don't if i can't help you i don't i don't really know what you, i mean your options are bad let's just say that i mean most of the time we had three houses on the last season of hoarders that ended up getting demolished because the hoarder could was mentally not able to get through the, the therapy side of it and without the therapy side there's no point in even doing the cleaning it seems like there's a lot of aspects of your job i mean obviously there's the cleaning and you know just um, the meticulousness and the tough stomach and uh, it seems like maybe a degree of uh, construction technology too and knocking down walls and that kind of thing. But there's also a social work aspect where you're working with these people who are sick um, and sometimes being unreasonable and you're being calm and patient and talking them down. Did you study that too? I went through a lot of therapy. <laughs> I was you studied it from the other side. Receiving it. Yes, I was on the receiving end of a lot of therapy. Um, we worked subst- I mean, we work enormous amount of time with social workers, APS, uh, adult protective services, ch- child protective services. In every home that I work in, there's usually a therapist and a social worker of some sort, and, and often a professional organizer as well. I mean, so there's a lot on TV. You might see, you know, you, you see, you'll see one. You know, for each hoarder, there's actually about eight people behind the scenes working with them to I, make it work. I mean, it's a massive, massive undertaking. You're not the professional organizer. I am, I am technically, legally speaking, I'm not. I, I started this new thing called Extreme Cleaning. Uh, I just put a title on it. I, there's some professional, excuse me, professional organizers out there that do a lot of, lot of training to get that title, uh, and it's, it's a certification. I created who, who certification. certifies them? The uh, National Association of Professional Organizers. It's I, napo.net. I bet they get your paperwork back very quickly. They must be very organized. Yes, they're very they're extremely organized and very quick. Exactly. Well done. <laughs> if you go to their office and like, there's like a spilled cup of coffee or something, like you kind of have, you have to call them out on that. Their paperwork is pre-filled. All you have to do is sign it. Yeah. So, but you do extreme cleaning, which is different. 
Yeah, I do what nobody else wants. I mean, I, my whole business belief is do the work that nobody else wants to do. And my grandpa always told me that. He said, if no one wants to do it, price doesn't come up. So I, I take a little more. The rest of the country really focused on the social work side of this. I really am focused on the better good of people, but it's a, this is a business, and it's extremely business focused. And so I actually only take the massive jobs that nobody else wants. And that was just a personal choice. And how do you price something like this? Like, I mean, how do you put a price on clearing a house out of 2,000 mice or emptying 100 gallons of, you know, human waste or whatever? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, like these, are, these are, it's almost like a hypothetical game kids would play with, kids would play with judges. Like, oh, would you clean out the 2,000 rat house for $10,000 or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> like, these, these, they almost sound like hypothetical situations, but you're really answering those questions and really putting a price tag yeah. on these things. How do you price them? Yeah, I mean, it, you joke. I mean, but it really did start off like, how much would you be willing to clean up, say, 20,000 pounds of someone's poop? Like, how much would they have to pay you to do that? And that's a and realistic the thing. Like, there, there is, that's come up. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a Tuesday for me. I mean, that's pretty normal. <laughs> I mean, we just, you it come seems across really like, so like it, it seems like poop and animals are like the two things that'll like, that seems to me like where the red line is, where it goes from, uh, from like a, a manageable job to, we better call Matt and clutter cleaner. Yeah, I mean, when there's over 50 cats or, you know, more than a room full of poop, they're going to call me. And that's pretty much pretty standard for us. And we like that. I mean, we've embraced that. Like, that's our new addiction. Me and all my employees are recovering addicts or ex-cons. And so we really – it's a mindset for us. We embrace the work that no one else wants, and we love it. And we get excited when everyone else freaks out. Well, we, we get high, man. That's excitement. For, that's just like me, you know, <laughs> doubling down on, uh, you know, splitting – splitting eights and doubling down because i mean it's time to go man like this is this is my high and this is i get so excited about the stuff no one else wants but from the pricing side uh it's grown over time obviously i mean we we can charge more now than we used to be able to charge uh we try to use the family as much as possible so we can keep those costs down but an average job for us starts around ten thousand, and uh, it's gotten really high before i mean we've seen forty five, fifty thousand dollars jobs i mean you mentioned that you hired um you mentioned that you work uh, with addicts and ex-cons. Is that intentional? Absolutely. They're the best workers out there, man. I mean, all of us that have failed, we're going to relate better to the hoarder because we've messed up just as bad as they have. A hoarder it naturally feels like the rest of the world hates them. And so when me and my buddies come in and they find out we've done time or we're recovering addicts or we've messed up as much as we have, they, they look at us as equals. And they really enjoy talking to us because they know we're not going to judge them. And so for us, it was a choice. Uh, we also found out that we, I don't personally don't like working with you know, 22, 23-year-old kids right out of college. There's an entitlement that I don't have time for. Uh, I prefer to work with guys that have failed badly. Very, I always say if you failed loudly, you're the guy I want. And I imagine um, for those people, it's very difficult to find work. Oh, that's the other side. I mean, they're not going to complain about cleaning up 20,000 pounds of poop because they can't get another job anywhere in the country. And, and, we, and we all know that, and we don't use it against them, but it's a reality. I mean, it keeps the complaining on both sides. I mean, no one wants to do what I do for a living, so I'm lucky to have these guys, but also no one wants to hire those guys, so they're lucky to have me. It's a good, it, it keeps us in check. You're based in Virginia, right? Based in Virginia, we help, com- we help uh, families all over the country. So you'll travel for this? Man, we'll travel anywhere. We'll travel for cats. And are you at every job? Is it like your company or is it, uh, you know, or do you have uh, different people that you, you farm out the job? Well, to? yeah. It, it, I mean, seven years ago, it was just me and, and one other buddy, but we're actually quite big now. We've, uh, we're training about 30 different smaller companies around the country to help us. 
And so, I mean, there's a massive demand. There's over 10 million hoarders out there now. And, uh, and of course, estates as well. We're cleaning up a lot of estates. There's a massive population getting ready to pass on, the last kids of the Depression. So it's become quite a, quite a career for us. I mean, all of my guys that we were just trying to get beer money and rent money when we started this, and, uh, and now it's a legit career. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll probably have almost 50 companies trained to do it the clutter cleaner way by the end of the year. How has the show affected like uh, the business? Have more hoarders come out of their homes, out of their hordes, uh, since the show started airing, what, was it five years ago? Yeah, you said it right. It's not that there are more hoarders. It's just easier to acknowledge it now, and it's, it, there's more people reporting it. And I think people know like there's a solution, too. They see the show, and they see like there is a way out of this. Yep, and you're seeing a lot of family members finally reach out and say, look, my aunt, I didn't know what to do. Now I finally know there's a there's some help out there. There's some support. And so, yeah, I mean, we get bombarded. I'll, I'll get three or four requests during this interview. I mean, it, it's constant. Every day we get just bombarded. It's personally changed our lives you know, significantly because we have become the expert in cleaning up hoarding. Just be- and most people just see me wearing my T-shirt on hoarders. Do you ever turn down jobs uh, just because the job is too big or too gross, or is it a matter of the hoarder is not ready to deal with it yet? Man, you got good questions. We turn down more jobs. We we turn down more jobs than we accept, and it's always because the hoarder is not ready. What we don't want to do, it's expensive, and we don't want to take twenty grand from a family if the house is going to fill right back up in a month. And so we need to often we make sure the hoarder has gone to therapy or is committed to going to therapy moving forward, and we make sure that they actually want to change. But if the hoarder is ready to change, there's no job too big, too gross. Exactly. No matter. I mean. Needles are kind of where we draw the line. Uh, needles for us are tough. We, we definitely cleaned up dead bodies. I mean, we, you know, we'll, we'll clean pretty much anything. Needles. What is it about needles? Is it, they're well, unsafe, I imagine, obviously. Yeah. I mean, but can you wear like stuff. thicker gloves, thicker boots? Like, I yeah, mean, I obviously, need, I'm, I'm not like, <laughs> believe me, the last thing I'm going to say to you is don't stop being a wuss. Come on, man. They're just needles. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you've thought about this and considered all the options, but why can't you just get really thick boots, really thick gloves, like there's no solution for needles, that's where, that's it? Well, it's, no, I mean, that's where we drew the line before, there's now nice Kevlar gloves that are actually pretty easy to do, so we are, we have guys that are willing to do it. Um, that's where I personally throw up my hands, I have very, I have a couple young kids, so I don't want to get HIV early in life, um, I try to focus on, you know, the jobs we take that no one else wants are the animal jobs. Surely there's some risks to the animals and the dead bodies. Like, this is, uh, there's health risks to all this to you. Like, you can see oh, it on the show. Like, you're wearing yeah. pretty heavy duty respirators. You're bringing in biohazard teams. Like, uh, you guys, oh, yeah. there, there's obviously health risks. Um, so, just, yeah. So, how do, you, how do you manage those? Even just, you are taking them even beyond the needles. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, the needles are definitely, we, we definitely go into houses that are worse than needles. The air quality in some houses are horrific. I mean, if you've got 150 cats in there, uh, the methane levels in those houses are, are deadly. Um, we've, I mean, we've cleaned up, I, can't, I mean, countless dead bodies. It's, it's, you get used to it, but um, the needles is just what throws me off. We, you price for it, and you have to really price for the proper removal. I mean, now you have, uh, you have some pretty, you know, litigation against how you can actually throw, like you can't throw needles away in the trash. You can't throw blood away in the trash. You can't throw some body fluids in certain places. I mean, so there's now there's lots of legalities of where you can throw things. And that's our job to figure it out by, by location because California is a whole lot different than Alabama, I can assure you, is where you can throw things away. But for us, we, we try not to ever turn it away because if we've turned, it's taken these people five, ten years to reach out and ask for help. And if we say no, they're never going to ask for for help again. And so we, we 
try to really never say no. The, the reasons we would say no is if, you're, if the hoarder's not ready mentally and if the family is not participating. Is there a job that stands out to you as the craziest, most extreme, grossest? I feel like watching the show a lot, there's a lot of superlatives thrown around, and there's a lot of like, this is the smelliest house, or this yeah. is the worst situation for animals I've ever seen. But is there one that stands out for you as just, period, the worst house? It was a tie. There were two, there were two three, three bad ones, actually, that, I, that still are in my head. Are they all the, uh, from the, the TV show? Yeah, they're all from the TV show. I mean, we, and this, they all, I mean, dead bodies, believe it or not, you get used to. They're never in the top 10. Uh, the ones, we had a lady that had 30,000 gallons of her own urine. Remember those old Gatorade bottles that we yeah, would get when we were kids? I think I saw that one. She had about five rooms full of them. Why do people do that? Like, I, I can almost <laughs> appreciate storing stuff and hoarding things, but that seems like some, I don't know, like, to me, I, I, and I recognize it's sickness. I'm not like, I, yeah. but why? What is their thinking there? Why are they doing that? If well, you it did make, it. yeah, no, it, it did make sense to her, which is hard to believe. Uh, her her mother, in fact, half of it was her mother's. So her mother had taught her that's how you properly dispose of it. So in her mind, she was actually trying to be a good daughter. It was learned, and and she was young. She was barely forty, and so I was trying to basically potty train a forty year old woman. And it was an extremely, extremely long week. And then the very next week, I had to go do a house in Maryland. And we st- and this lady had diapers, about three f- her own adult diapers that she had used. They were about th- three foot high of her own poop and diapers. And as I was standing on the pile talking to her, helping her clean it, an earthquake hit. And the oh house starts God. shaking. And I'm on the second floor. <laughs> that is of the this worst. Old- <laughs> It's the worst Dude. time for an earthquake. <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy crap, I'm going to die. I'm, this house is going to fall, and then I'm going to fall through. And then she and all her diapers are going to fall on top of me. And I was like, this is the worst horde ever. And it's, I mean, it scared me to death, man. I had never been in an earthquake before, and it scared me to death. So let's talk nuts and bolts for a second. Wait, is there a third house? Well, the third house was the liquid cats. There was a, uh, a lady that put 65 cats in her refrigerator, they had they had obviously passed away, and she was trying to preserve them to take them to be oh, properly. I don't think that's how preserving them. cats works, is it? No, no. You could probably find other ways to preserve them, but in her mind, she was trying, and it was pretty aggressive because you know when your lettuce, like uh, you you let lettuce sit too long in your fridge and it kind of decays and turns black, and there's a little uh, liquid at the bottom under the under the crisper drawer. Well, apparently, cats do the same. Oh my God! Can't thing. So you the just... cats had liquefied. Oh, that's yeah. terrible. Can't it was you... awful. I ended up, I ended up shaving my entire body and had to throw all my clothes. Away. Wow. I couldn't get the smell off of me. Oh Could my not get God! The smell off me. Can't... It was awful. Can't you just like throw the refrigerator in the garbage? Is that not a we solution there? We couldn't even throw the refrigerator away at the dump. We had to have it actually. Uh, we had to have it incinerated. Wow! Uh, it was it was too dirty. It was too messy for the dump. So... I mean, that tells you how bad it is. So. Nuts and bolts, how do you deal with something like that? You show up, there's cats in the refrigerator. Like, do you just get a spray thing of bleach and some towels and just start working at it? Oh, no, I mean, that house literally had to be taken down to the studs. I mean, that was – we, we took it all the way down to the studs, and then you have to actually have a you know professional bio-clean company in, and actually they will actually completely air, scrub out the air. I mean, it's these things called air scrubbers, and they take all the air quality out, and then they pump new air in, and then they – you like sanitize, like deeply sanitize with all this really high chemicals deep, deep into the borders of the woods. I imagine, it, it's, I, I don't know what those companies do, but I imagine it's not usually residential. Um, some do. I mean, we use Service Master pretty exclusively around the country, and they come in and they'll do everything. Like when a house burns down, they'll make, they'll clean 
everything, scrub it with toothbrushes all the way down so everything's reused again. They do a lot of mold work. So, I mean, they're trained at a higher level than we are for that type of sanitation. But they'll make it, uh, I mean, they'll make it like it was brand new again. All right, so to use another one, let's go down a level. The diaper house, is it just like, let's get a bag? We're going to start throwing away the diapers. Is it just like... Everybody gets a bag. Everybody gets a glove and a mask, and you just start throwing diapers away. You mentioned it's just that easy. You mentioned, like, you're training a lot of businesses around the country in the clutter cleaner way of cleaning. That was fun to say. What is the clutter cleaner method? Like, what, what is an overview of uh, your technique? The technique is more about communication. Hoarding cleanup is really about communication. Anyone can pick up poop. That's easy. It's can you make the lady feel well? Can you make her feel happy? Can you make her laugh? while you're cleaning up her poop. I mean, can you hug her at the end of it? Can you get through all of that and not freak out? I mean, because most people walk in, oh, my God, look at all this shit. This is horrible. And they start making the hoarder feel, feel awful. Well, we go in and we make ourselves look like horrible people. And we, we call it equalizing. And we make her look like a queen. And we, may, and we slowly, I mean, very methodically, there's an entire way that we use persuasion to keep the hoarder happy and keep them in control. And it's all about communication. It really has nothing to do. I mean, there's, it's a four-day class, and I probably three hours of it about it. It's about sorting and cleaning. Anybody can sort poop. Anybody can throw that away. It's how do you do it with respect and with trust and to really treat them properly. So it's more about the people than the cleaning. It's all about the people. Hoarding, believe it or not, hoarding is not about the stuff, although it's a physical disorder. You see the, the physicalness of it. It's never about the stuff. I mean, the best example is when we're cleaning out these hordes uh, with like uh, home shopping hordes where they've got, I mean, the whole house is filled with boxes that they've bought off of uh, QVC or HSN, those boxes are never opened. It has nothing to do with someone open, with wanting the stuff. It's the act of acquiring it that makes them feel good. It's not the stuff. So it's, it's all mental, and so you have to be very careful about the communication part of it not to mess up the mental progression. It's actually very detailed, but at the end of the day, physically, you're just, you're just picking up poop. How did you end up on this TV show, Hoarders? Now, I, I think I understand a little more about how you ended up in this line of work, but what was the leap to being on TV and doing it? Well, great story. I, I knew what I was doing was special, and I wanted to get on TV. So I started asking around. Who do you ask? Like, who, do you, who do you ask in that situation? And I put a post out on Facebook, and this was six years ago. So think of what Facebook was six years ago and, or five years ago. And so it was the beginning of, of you know, when the everyday guy got into Facebook, you know, post the movie, when the normal people were getting into it. I just I had, I had like 150 friends at the time. And so I posted on there, hey, anybody know me on TV? And like a friend of a friend of a friend put me in touch with Peter Walsh, who is uh, Oprah Winfrey's main organizer. And uh, I... So wait, Oprah, wait, wait, wait. Oprah has an, a personal organizer and she's not sick or anything. Yeah. She just has someone. She's got so much stuff. She's got such a big life. She just needs someone to organize it. Oh, no, he's like this like 10 time New York Times bestseller that's on her TV shows and uh, he's huge I mean he's he's a huge star in, in her world and she puts him on the shows and he, he does a lot of stuff and so I bugged him I found his agent's phone number online and I called the agent every single day for about two years and finally they were just like alright dude you got 10 minutes what do you want and uh, I explained I wanted to work with them and, and they, we stayed in touch but they were like no that's great we like you but there's no, we don't have any need for you right now and they had asked Peter to go on the show and he said no and so he said, but this guy won't stop bugging me in Virginia. Try him. And so literally it was, uh, you know, I was their third or fourth choice. They weren't looking for me, but everyone else turned them down. I mean, I've made a career out of right. not being the first guy. It's just be the only guy willing to say yes. And what was your experience like being on the show? Is it harder to do that to keep the people calm when the cameras are there? Yes, it's extremely hard because they are – I mean, this is a, a disease about embarrassment, and they don't want people – 
to see them, and we're putting it on national TV. Now, most people that come on this show, it's their, it's their last option. I mean, they don't have any money. They can't afford it, and so they're going to get their kids back or they're going to keep their pets because they've worked with us. But the problem is TV needs drama. So if you get what you need for the TV show, it's actually bad for the progression of the disorder. So the therapist and I have to work very closely to make sure that we keep the TV people happy, the production company happy, but you also have to keep the hoarder's mental state top of mind. And you always have to make sure the hoarder is okay before you worry about the TV side. It, it was a very delicate dance, but uh, at the end of the day, it funded. I mean, we reminded them, look, man, this is funding your cleanup, so you have to let us do this TV show. But a lot of times, we'd have to shut the production down, too. We'd have to call A&E and say, hey, look, we, this, this is inappropriate. We shouldn't be here. We need, we need a day off, or we need this. And they were always pretty supportive. I mean, A&E was actually very, very supportive for our security and our safety. Yeah, it seems like a show that more than some other um, documentary shows are rea- – it's more of a documentary show than uh, a reality show. And I guess you could call it a reality show, but I think that word is a certain stigma and you think of certain other shows. Um, whereas you guys – I don't know. It seems like um, there's a lot of talk about the aftercare, and it seems like um, – I don't know. It seems like you guys are really committed to helping these people out and making their lives yeah, better. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean A&E, you know, with Duck Dynasty's there and all the top, top – really reality shows are on those types of networks and, and they're all I mean, they're hundred percent scripted. Those shows are. And with, with hoarders, they just sent a camera crew and they watched us. I mean, they would literally turn the camera on and we would work and then they would turn it off. And so it really was, I, I always said it was more a documentary, but it, um, it, there was a I mean, at the end, you know, they, they definitely had things they wanted us to capture, but they also, the good thing about hoarding is it's naturally dramatic. You didn't have to create fights. They, they just happened. You just hoped there was a camera rolling when it happened. So, I mean, literally from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., there would be a camera rolling. And then at the end, they actually had me spending the night there. We'd have GoPros up all around the house, and I would spend the night in the house with the hoarder. What's that like? And, and I, like, where do you, scariest, do you sleep? <laughs> you like, you, I've seen some episodes like that. You're like Scooby-Doo sleeping in the haunted house. Like, do you, uh, uh, where do you sleep? Where do you sleep? Like, these people, some of them, uh, it's unclear where they sleep. Like, their mattress is covered in garbage. Uh, certainly, they don't have a guest bedroom. You do not sleep. I mean, I I would try to find a place, you know, at least a six foot long place that I could lay down on. Uh, one time, the only place was in the hallway, and of course, like ten dogs jumped on top of me, and then all this trash fell on top of me. I mean, there was never really a place that you could spend that you could like close your eye. And I could sleep anywhere, man. I mean, there could be literally a bomb going off, and I could fall asleep in a bed next to it. But in a horde once you lose the sight, the vision part of it, it gets real scary because the lights go out. None of these houses have electricity. None of them have air. And so you're laying like, you know, eight foot up high and you can feel the ceiling like on your, on your nose, you know? And then, and then, so you, you feel something run across your nose and if the lights are on, you can see, well, that's the wind or that's a spider or that's a piece of paper or that's a dog's tongue. Like you don't know what it's going to be, but when the lights are off, you don't know if it's a rat if it's a cat, if it's a dog, it's the unknown that freaks you out. And you start going to war with yourself mentally, and it freaks you out. And so I, I'll never forget the first time I did it. I looked at my clock, 8 o'clock, my watch, 8 o'clock. I tried to lay down, and the, the, uh, I was about six feet up, and so the, the piles started shifting. They just kept shifting. And I didn't know if there was a big, like a, you know, like a California rat underneath me or if it was a dog. I didn't know what it was. Turns out the next morning I find it was just a bag of aluminum cans. But I didn't know. And I was freaking out, man, and I could smell something really bad. I couldn't smell what it was, and then I felt something up against my face, and I realized that some type of poop had rolled across my face, and I didn't know if it was dog poop or human poop. 
And so I'm at this point, I'm like, I'm out of here. I can't do this. And I what, feel like I can what, do it. Honestly, what's the difference? <laughs> like, you know. For some reason, I could handle dog poop on my face. The human poop, I couldn't handle. And uh, I don't know why. But anyway, I, it ends up, I look at my watch, and I was like, it must be 1 o'clock. It's got to be at least be midnight. And it was like 8.20. I mean, literally 20 minutes had passed. And I was ready to quit. I mean, I was like, well, if they fire me, they fire me. You know, and, and at that point, I mean, this is my only income. And mentally, it had messed with me so hard. I was like, fine. If I get fired, I get fired, whatever. I'll figure out something new. I can't stand another 10 minutes in this house. And it, it put into my mind the reality of, man, these hoarders, I mean, I had an option. I could go home to the hotel. I could get another job. These hoarders can't leave. And so it actually was great for me to experience that because I didn't realize how traumatic that time is in those homes. And they do it every day, day in, day out. Yeah, sometimes you see uh, these people are like, when you guys come in, you're wearing hazmat suits, you know, uh, and these people were just living there. Day, like, but you're not even willing to walk in there without like a mask. They've been living in it. You don't want to even go in there for ten minutes. Yeah, and they live it for ten, twenty years. Why do you spend the night there? Is that to gain their trust or to gain a better understanding of who they are? Well, at first, I just wanted to really understand their situation, and I want to understand their physically. I understand where they're living, but mentally, I want to understand where they were, what it was like at night, and I wanted to see what their ha- their living habits were like. I mean, when the network presented it to us, we just assumed they were trying to get ratings. And maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I don't know. But it turned out to be a really cool thing to actually spend the time with these disorders. And you, and you find out they have a whole other world at night. I mean, you and I sleep at night. That's what we do. It's pretty simple. Our bodies shut down and we get rest. They don't get that, man. I mean, they are going constant 24-7. So it, it completely opened my eyes to what's happening with these hoarders. And it was fascinating. So it's funny. At the beginning, I was against it. And by the end, I'm like begging them, can we do that again? Like, this is really cool. Have you become something of an animal expert? Because it seems like animals are a big part of uh, at least a lot of hoarders. Lives. I, this is my claim to fame. I now know uh, pretty much <laughs> where every cat hides in a house. I've become an expert on um, cat poop or animal poop. Like I can look at any piece yeah. of poop in a house and what type of animal it is, like a, some kind of fascinating tracker or something, scat tracker. Like, like, like an urban Merc trail. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Where, where do cats? Where do the cats hide? Well, it's always in drawers. The babies are in drawers. Uh, so for every live cat you see in a house, there's another like two dead cats in the house. That's something we've learned. And so you see a hundred cats in there. There's going to be three hundred. You're going to find a total of three hundred cats in that house. Oh my god! And they all hide in every little box. They hide in between boxes. I've seen more. Oh man! I mean, the the most cats dry up. Thank goodness. But I mean, it turns out uh, cats are all cannibals. They eat each other. As soon as one of them dies, the rest of them eat them. And so you can actually like follow the progression of where the cats are based on the decaying of their bodies. I mean, you just you learn way too much to be honest about dead cats because cat is the pet of choice for most hoarders. Yeah, and, uh, it just gets well, it requires they give a lot of love compared for the little amount of effort required to keep them. Is there, so it makes sense. Is there any, like, if you if there are cats or there are dead cats, that's another phone call, right? Because you need someone from Animal Control or the Animal Protection League or something like that there. Well, dead cats, I'm cool. I mean, we, we can get those. but the, Just right in the garbage. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, you know, put one in your buddy's trunk and then put the rest of them in the trash can. It's pretty easy. <laughs> we try to, uh, the live cats, you really do need animal control because, uh, one, I mean, most of those cats are feral and they're extremely dangerous and they will mess you up, man. I mean, I have had before, you know, we, 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 you see us on TV now in all this proper gear, but when we started, man, I mean, we were walking in with shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts and we're just, we you know, this is eight years ago. We're walking in. We didn't know we were cleaning. And I, I mean, I, I have to assume them. you didn't know you, you never could have dreamed how bad it could get. You never would have 
even <laughs> never imagined the stuff you've seen since uh, you started doing this job. Every week, I think, okay, you could never surprise me. And I mean, just two weeks ago, we found a house where it was a an old army officer, an old scientist from the army from the fifties, and he had passed away. And the estate hired us to come in and clean it. And we get halfway through the house, we find like a a fo- like a fake room. That was like hidden, and we were able to like break into it, and it had all this uh, Nazi propaganda, what, and stuff in it. Oh, wait for it. We're not done yet. So that should have stopped us and been like, "Wow, this is amazing." <laughs> well, then we get to the back of a garage, and we find these two like eight foot wide old safes from the fifties, and of course they have nuclear stickers on them. And so we're like, "Wait a minute, what?" And so we had to call like the local community you know college group to come over and the geiger counters going off and so we still don't know we were like we're gonna we're gonna piece out of here we're done if you guys can get these saves removed and get whatever chemicals are in it i mean we don't know if this was a nuclear if this if there's actual nuclear elements in there or if it was just stickers and books the guy saved but like you never know what you're gonna find and we laughed we actually about two days later we were like man what was in that nazi room like we had totally forgotten about it because <laughs> of all and then we found hundreds and hundreds i mean we stopped counting guns at 300 in this house, and there was like a 1950-something uh, Mercedes that still worked. That's the guy I want to be interviewing on this show next week. <laughs> I want to know everything about that guy. I want to bring him back to life and ask him questions. Okay, so you, what you bring up is we end up getting these fascinating people, right? You learn all this amazing stuff about these people, and sometimes they're alive. Sometimes they aren't, but we go through every single item that person's ever had in their entire life because you can't – just toss stuff away. You literally have to sort it because you might be looking for a wedding ring or some, I mean, anyone that's born in the, you know, that was alive in the fifties and before, uh, they were kids of the depression. So there's actually a lot of money in these houses hiding, believe it or not. And so we have to go through every single item and so you can't toss it. So, I mean, think about now if someone was going through every piece of scrap paper and you, you personally, I mean, every item that you've ever had, they would know you very well. And we get to know these people so well. We get to know their families so well. And then you just, Peace out and it's done. I mean, it's actually, that's the mental part that messes us up because you get so close to the person, even if they're alive or dead. And then you just have to like, okay, well, next week we go on to the next guy. So wait, this scientist was, a, did you say he was a scientist with the American military? Mm-hmm. But he had yeah. a lot of Nazi memorabilia. Yes. Yeah, so our questions are like, well, is he pro? Is he just collecting? Like, what's yeah. up? Yeah. Either and, way, it's illegal. So, I mean, it was very, uh, very interesting. I mean, and that's, no, I mean, not the Nazi stuff, but I mean, you just, you never know what you're going to find. That was we a fun, yeah. What's another example of something that you, I feel like you must have seen it all. What's something else that surprised you? Uh, I mean, my, my favorite was we found an entire, uh, like a fake closet for this man that had clearly been, this is, a, you know, an 80 year old dude that had been dressing up like a, a cross dresser his whole life. And we found the room. And so the family had no idea. The guy had just died. And we're like, you know, do we out this guy to his family that just died? Like, I mean, clearly he'd been dressing up as a woman, like, whenever the family was gone for the last 50 years. And uh, so we just we just tossed it. We didn't feel the need to let him know. Wow. But, I, mean, that's, I, I think that's the right decision I, there. We, trust me, we talked to social. We called everybody. We, this is about four or five years ago. We called everybody we could find. And that was the advice was don't tell the family? Don't tell the family. Because, we, we, I mean, that's not our call. We had to, you know, we talked to social workers and things therapist but we actually found uh we found one guy turned out he was a huge pornography like child pornography collector and he ended up we ended up having to call the cops on him and he actually went to jail 
That crossdresser guy is in heaven, just like breathing oh. a sigh of relief as you just throw it all in the garbage. You always laugh. He's gonna buy us our first round of beer when we get to heaven, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's be like, Thank you very much. Whatever you want. Is a lot of the the business cleaning out for people who are no longer with us, people that have just passed? About fifty fifty now. I mean, it, it's a, there's a massive amount of people that are going to pass away in the next 20 years. And so we'll see more and more of it. Um, but it's easier to get a dead person to participate, to be blunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to say no. And a hoarder's still going to fight you on it. I mean, a hoarder that's still fully in, that's rooted in, and they're just not going to participate. Uh, it might take two or three years of us talking to them, you know, once every other month before they're ready to do it. I mean, oftentimes we literally might spend maybe, uh, you know, a year before we go in the house. But uh, with a family that's you know that's an immediate estate situation, they might call us on Monday and we're there we're there on Friday. Did you ever find out what was in the Nazi trader scientist? I'm like making up his whole story now. What was in the safe? We don't. We still don't know. Mm-mm. No one ever. It, it was. Uh, I know the house was bulldozed. That's all I know. And it's so we, we were with curious them. too. We're like, well, and like some some government men in black was like, don't worry about the safe. We'll take it from here, gentlemen. Uh, I mean, I got buddies in L.A. that are always like, just send us all your stories. We're going to write some TV shows about it. I mean, we find amazing stuff, man. It, it really just blows your mind, the stories. And, and, you, and what's so cool is they're real. You know, I mean, you never know what you're going to find. Yeah. The, but poop, I mean, on the other side, we've found, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for families. Gold certificates and stock certificates. And, uh, you know, we found one family, we found a proof of about $2 million in an account they had no idea existed. I mean, we have found literally millions of dollars for families that needed it. And so, like, on the other side, you find the really awesome, crazy stuff. But then you also find incredible amounts of money that really helped the families that had no idea existed. And that's awesome when you find that. Is that at all a concern for security and people, like, just finding a million dollars worth of cash that no one knows existed? No, because my guys don't want to go back to jail. I mean, if they right. find a nickel, they bring it. That's, that's, why again, why our guys do – it's a very common question. Well, you, find, you have all these ex-cons. Aren't they going to steal? No, dude. They do not want to go. I mean, you ever spent 20 years in jail? Trust me. <laughs> those guys do not want to go back. They will, I mean, they literally will bring you a nickel if they find it. At the end of the day, do you feel like the show is accurate and that, you know, it tells these people stories? It does. I, I, I think it, it, it does. I mean, Amy did a good job by just letting us do our thing. And as I've worked on other TV shows since, I didn't realize how special that was. They didn't try to manipulate it. They didn't try to direct it or create it. They just let it happen. And I think naturally... Hoarding is a very dramatic disorder, so they didn't have to. It's a very so visually interesting out. disorder, too, you know? It's, it's, it leads exactly. to some striking imagery. Yeah, exactly. And so, and the stories are, I mean, they're real. They're either awesome or they're horrific. Like you said, some of them end up horrible. And that's life. That's real. I mean, not every one of them's great. And I like that they show that. I mean, it, it's, it's extremely sad. I mean, sometimes I go home just so depressed because I know the house is going to fill up the next day. Or I know that person's going to die in the next six months. I mean, you never know. But it's, I think the show did a very good job. I think that's why it's been so successful. I mean, we're not in production right now, but, I mean, we're, our reruns still do, like, $2 million a night. And people, I mean, it's amazing. You would think we're on, like, we're, I think we just hit Europe, and uh, we're huge in Australia right now. We're really big in England. It's really weird. I mean, you can follow it, like, just go on my Twitter, and you'll see where it's big. I mean, like, we were big in Egypt for a while. We were big, I mean, it's just really weird. Like, it's all over the country, and I get requests for stuff all over the country. It's crazy. Are there hoarders in other countries? It seems like it could potentially be a very American disorder. That's what I've always said. I've always said it's extremely American. I mean, it's the American way. You buy, buy, buy. Purchase, right, purchase, right, right, right. So are there hoarders in Egypt, in Australia? Uh, no, I mean, I think you see them. Yeah, you definitely see them in Australia. You definitely see them in Great Britain. You're seeing them a lot in uh, 
you definitely see them in like Japan. You're starting to see them in China even now because the the places that are becoming more Americanized definitely. Um, any, you know, I, I will take it back. Anywhere there's depression, you can see the possibility of hoarding. But uh, you know, I think Europeans are definitely a little more responsible with their money and their stuff. Have you ever done any international jobs? I haven't, man. I'm dying to do one, and I get them in, from Australia all the time. I really want to go, but man, it is expensive to go to Australia. Yeah, but I don't, are there? Is there a you of Australia? It sounds like they might have to fly you in. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of aiming for that. <laughs> I've uh, now that we're like, not, I mean, we're not filming hoarders right now, so I've been, I'm trying to get my agent to get me on in, in either in uh, in England or in Australia. And I mean, it's crazy. Like I, you know, I mean, if, if I have all my clutter cleaner gear on, people will stop me here in the states. But if I don't have anything on, if I don't have anything, you know, if I don't have anything that's saying I'm from hoarders, people don't know who I am. But the like in Canada, I was, it was crazy. I mean, people love. I think people hate Americans in Canada, so they love American TV shows like Hoarder. And I mean, it was amazing. We couldn't go anywhere. Like I was a star in in Canada. It was crazy. So I mean, people people definitely know it's out there. Um, we we'll help anywhere, anybody, as long as we can make a profit and we can help someone. They're willing to be helped. We're there. Our whole vibe is you know, do well by doing good. And if we can do that, we'll travel wherever. You also have a podcast, just like me. I can re- I can relate to that. The podcast is called Five Decisions Away. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, what the title means? Yeah, five decisions away. I was actually cleaning out a hoard on A and E, and it was a um, a huge hoard in New York City, right in the middle of Queens. This guy had about a half an acre in Queens, and it was about four feet high of um, like old bicycle parts and metal. So I mean, the scrap metal value alone had to have been over a hundred grand, and the property, God knows what it was worth. Well, there was a bum living in the hoard, and so I'm cleaning out this bum shack, and he's got uh, two buckets, one a poop, one a pee. These little five gallon buckets, and he's apologized, and I said, "Hey, man." Don't worry about it, man. Without those buckets of pee, I wouldn't have any work. And he goes, oh, that's a good way to look at it. And I just, I'm looking, and I'm like, his name was Greg. I'll never forget it. I said, Greg, what, what you, how did you end up this way, man? And uh, he goes, well, I used to be a stockbroker, and this girl broke my heart. And I go, really? And he goes, well, I'm addicted to crack, too. But the girl <laughs> did break my heart. <laughs> and I just looked at the camera, and I said, well, I guess we're all four or five decisions away from shitting in a bucket. And it just stuck, and people started writing blog posts about it and stuff. So I just, you know, and it is a, it is a belief. I really do believe, you know, for me, that night the bookie broke my nose. I mean, I, I had some really bad options on the table, and I definitely believe I was four or five decisions away from pooping in a bucket that night. I was probably two decisions away, and life went the good way for me. And I think a lot of these hoarders, a couple bad things happen, man, and they end up in this horrible place. So it, it is a little symbolic. Um, but it also marketably, it was a good title and our podcast is mainly all the stories that are just too inappropriate to tell on TV. We tell them. So we sit down, it's basically like sitting down with my crew, having a beer and, uh, we tell very inappropriate, uh, very colorful stories. Uh, we always say our goal is to offend you and inspire you in the same hour. Can you give me one example of like the kind of story you might tell? What's like a good offensive one? Uh, and please feel free to be as offensive as you want. Uh, yeah, I, I have a uh, I have some new sponsors that have asked me not to be as offensive, so I'm trying to think not on this show. Um, on well, I, t- I mean, like we. Um, I'm trying to think of the best one. I mean, I, I tell the story. I mean, I was in. Uh, I broke my hand on a on a horde. No, that's a bad one. Um, let me think of a better what one. What is that? Brings up a good point, though. What What is the worst injury you've ever uh, sustained? Doing this extreme cleaning. Well, it's all it's all mental. I mean, physically, I broke my hand one time in a in a freight elevator. It was awful. Uh, but, um, 
mentally, I mean, you you sometimes you got to take a couple weeks off. I mean, I, there was a, a home where the guys were. Uh, we found out all the the three generations lived in this home, and they all were uh, meth addicts. We had no idea, and uh, they passed all the. I mean, A and E had a pretty pretty stringent test to find out who you know if these people were good and they were safe. And the only thing we didn't do we didn't do a drug test because you just don't often think to do that. And uh, until that time, and then we did always after that. But this family. I mean, the guy went nuts and like physically attacked me, had me on the ground. And uh, it was, I mean, the camera guys, and you know, I mean, reality TV, the job is to keep the camera rolling, period, no matter what. And it got so aggressive that all the camera guys put their equipment down to pull the guy off of me. And so, I mean, these guys could have lost their jobs saving me. And I mean, they, you know, for the most part, they should have just left the cameras rolling. If I was their bosses, that's what I would have said. But it it was scary, and I ended up having to have police protection until we could get out of town. And it was bad, man. It was just bad news. And I was really messed up. I mean, really messed up for about a month. Um, for me, I mean, uh, some of the, the I'll tell you the cat. I'll, I'll take that cat story a little further. The time uh, we started pulling all these liquefied cats out, oh, God. and um, it, I mean, they're just. Uh, Oh, I'll tell you, actually, a better one. So we were in Indiana. (laughs) This is better. Sorry to jump around. About three years ago, we were in Indiana one, and most cats are dried, flat. And they're, I mean, their air is just gone in these houses. So, I mean, they're they're flat cats. And we joke, we call flat cats. And we have a little song about them. We call flat cats. And we sing anytime we find a flat cat. And you have to have some humor in this job to get through it. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. And so we always sing our flat cats. Well, this house, all the dead cats were moist. They weren't dried up and a moist cat is a lot worse than a dry cat because you pick it up and its head and its tail and its legs all just flop down right and then you see all the maggots running around it and everything and it's awful but it's pretty awesome at the same time and so if you like gross disgusting stuff and you know we don't get upset by the cats that's our job it is what it is but you start getting um you want to be grossed out that's i mean we really enjoy it and so the the wet ones just they really grossed you out because the eyes would all look at you and googly and stuff. It was just really gross. And we're sitting there picking up all these these wet cats. And a wet cat weighs a lot more than a dry cat. So you're, you're I mean, you're literally pulling out just, I mean, hundred pound bags of wet dead cats. And we're all in these white bio suits. And uh, this guy turns around, and it turns out the all the dead cats bleed through these plastic bags. We didn't know it. So we're our our white biosuits are completely red, and we're just like, and we're all like drawing stuff on each other's biosuits. It's just disgusting, right? But you have to la- do it to laugh at it. So then, when finally we start thinking after like day two, we're like, why are all these? We should have thought about it right away. Why are all these cats wet? And I finally asked the lady. I said, "Is do you have a basement?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, there's the door over there." And we look at the door, and honest to God, there's an eight foot pile of boxes in front of the door. So it takes us about two hours to clean out the doorway. We opened the door, and her basement had completely filled up with six feet of sewage. So it was all the city's, everyone's poop. Oh, God. And we realized the house was basically a crock pot. It was a poop crock pot. In the entire <laughs> a poop and dead cat crock pot. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, welcome. Yes, I did ask. You know, living this life, having seen the things you've seen, smelled (laughs) the smells you've smelled. How clean is your house? Well, that's a good question. My house used to be really clean, uh, but now I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and another baby on the way in January. So I, I had to give up on uh, having a clean house. I wanted to have a, a sane family. Uh, I had to give up. So my house is pretty, pretty messy, to be honest. But pretty messy is a long ways away from hoarding. Yeah, I mean, I'm a minimalist. I don't believe in stuff. I don't like to buy things. Yeah, I uh, bet you don't. From- <laughs> yeah, 
I think I think buying anything is a waste of money. To be honest, uh, I, my my belief is you spend money on time, spend time with your kids, spend time with your family, go places, travel, see things. Stuff I think is a complete waste of money. I really do. It's, it's just it's a total waste of money. Happiness is not through things. Happiness is through is through experiences, and that's just my personal philosophy. So yeah, I mean, as far as like my kids have toys, and we're pretty minimal on that. And and uh, but yeah, so my house is is it is it crazy messy? No. But uh, ironically, my wife is really messy. Uh, fell in love with a girl that could totally be a hoarder someday. <laughs> I mean, we just, you just, you fall in love with opposites, I guess. But yeah, our house is, I would say it's messy. Comparative to a hoarder's house, no. No, it's pretty clean. You can see the floor. You can see the walls. I bet you get a lot of people, though, like, uh, just c- complaining, just being like, well, if this guy's going to be messy, complaining, you know, calling you out on being even the littlest bit messy at any time. My wife hates to let people in our house for that exact reason because they expect it to be perfect. And the other side of that is whenever I go to someone's – like we're just hanging around our neighborhood. We'll go into someone's house and everybody starts apologizing to me about how messy their house <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. My house might be perfect. I mean I was at uh, – well, you know Jay Moore from, uh, from More Stories mm-hmm, podcast. Yeah. I was in Jay's house a couple weeks ago. And it, I mean immaculate. I mean, let me, I mean literally ready for – you walk in there and it looks like you could have – you know, literally a magazine shoot immediately. And I walk in there and I looked at him. I specifically said to him, don't clean up your house. And I looked at him and I looked at his wife and I said, how long did you guys clean before I got here? She's like, we've had a cleaning crew here for 12 hours. <laughs> so I mean, they totally cleaned the house. They're so worried about what I would think. But I mean, I, my belief is your house should be a little messy. If it's perfect, it's too far. Like your house should be lived in. That's reality. And I also think a little messy is a compl- it, it, hoarding. Like you, like you said earlier, it's not really about messiness. Like being a little messy is not a step on the way, is it? No, uh, uh-uh, not at all. I mean, my, I tell you, I do a ten minute sweep, man. Don't go to bed without the, unless the sink is empty. Like make sure the dishes are all done, and then whatever each night clean for ten minutes in one room with the whole family, whether it be everyone in the family room, everyone in the kids' room, everyone in the playroom, whatever. Just spend 10 – I always say go at 7.50, clean from 7.50 to 8. I want to take your cleaning advice, and that seems like sound advice. I think we all overanalyze everything. I think we overanalyze everything. We sit around – and no offense, I think women overanalyze everything beyond uh, necessity. Just do it. Just go and clean for 10 minutes, and one of you each night clean the damn dishes. That's it. Life can be happy. I mean, most people spend 30 minutes analyzing who should clean up what and why they should clean it. It's not fair. I did this. I did that. I have a job. You don't. People get into their relationship stuff, and they forget that you, you could have just been cleaning that 20, 20 minutes you were bitching about why so-and-so did something eight years ago. And you know what? That's all hoarding is. People get upset about something that happened way in the past, and then they get stuck in their minds, and that slows them down. You also sell clutter cleaner brand cleaning products. I'm doing good at it. I, I can't believe I'm getting these words out of my mouth. What, what are those about? I want to know what you like. I want your expertise on what a cleaning product should do and be made so, of. Our issue with the cleaning products was everything we used uh, to clean in the houses we were in had to be like super, super highly chemical. And they just weren't safe. And to the point where I couldn't actually. Excuse me. I couldn't actually bring home any of the chemicals I used to clean in the house because it would be dangerous for my kids. And I'm a big believer in, look, we all put our chemicals, our cleaning products under the kitchen sink. And what's the closest person to under the kitchen sink? It's your kids and your pets. So I, I looked and looked and looked for a year. Couldn't find anything. So I actually finally went out and designed my own cleaning products. Uh, they're, all, they're about 99% all natural. Um, they're extremely environmentally safe. And most importantly, they work. They're extremely effective. They will clean up anything. 
and you just spray it on, let it sit about 30 seconds, and wipe it off. And it can literally go. I mean, you could drink it if you had to. I wouldn't encourage it, but it's totally <laughs> safe if your kids get around it. If your kids get around it, it's fine. Um, we in the past we found all natural products tend to not really work that well, and so we wanted to make sure we were making a product that worked first, and then oh by the way, it just happened to be all natural. And you can get that at cluttercleaner.com. If you want to use it, uh, if you want to get free shipping, just write uh, ship, S-A-H-I-P. And that's also where you can find Five Decisions Away. Uh, you can find information about hoarders and hoarding. And, of course, your cleaning business. Yeah, our, our business is the key, man. We're out helping families every day. If you need help, either read our book, which is called The Secret Lives of Hoarders, available on Amazon, or just ask for help. I mean, really, and I always say to anybody in anything in your life, hoarding or not, if you're struggling with something, just reach out for help. People want to help you. It's available. Life is too short to be sad and to not enjoy life. Yeah, you know, uh, it's cool. I think it's really cool what you've done and that you've built this business. Uh, And you can see even on the TV show, even through, uh, you know, the reality TV-ness of television, you can see that, like, you and the people you work with like really care about these people, and it's really important to you. Um, not that, that you clean the house, cash a check, and get out of there, but that you're helping the people. Um, and I think beyond that, the TV show has like, just raised awareness and I think probably made it less of a stigma to uh, admit that you have this problem and get help. So it, it, you're, you're being a very positive force in the universe, and you're doing it in a cool way, and I think it's awesome. Well, thank you, man. I'll, I'll take it one step further. I'll tell you, I try, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. I tried to get rich just by selling stuff. And I never made a penny. The minute I finally just started helping people, that's when I started making a lot of money. I make—I mean, I tell everybody, I'm not embarrassed to say I make a lot of—I pe- make a lot of money helping people. And there's nothing wrong with that, man. The key is I'm focused on good. I'm focused on helping people. And I encourage everybody to find a way to do that. If you are just doing what you got to do to make money, you ain't ever gonna be happy, man. Get out there and make a difference, and the money starts coming. I'll be back with new Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin shows in December. I can't wait. I got some fun ones. Um, but if uh, you ha- if there's some episodes you've missed, maybe this is, if you're still listening, I guess, hopefully, probably, this is your first time hearing this episode, there's probably lots of other episodes you haven't heard, too. Tons of great stuff in the archives. They're all at JeffRubin, JeffRubinShow.com. Otherwise, you guys know the drill, social media, blah, 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 Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin, blah, blah, blah. I talk a little, and now the music starts to do its thing, and I say, bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.